Lord, our Heavenly Father, we approach you and we love you. We honor you for the God uh, who you are, a merciful and compassionate God who forgives our sins and treats us with kindness when in fact we deserve judgment, and you do so in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we read from the book of Exodus today, I pray that you would bring our Lord Jesus to our mind at every point and every time. That we would see him clearly, and that we'd also see the love that you had for your people Israel, the love that you have for us and in including us along with them through Jesus Christ, and in his name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 12, if you want to open your Bibles, are used to that. Um, but we're going to be in Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to read from Exodus chapter 12 through um, chapter 13, verse 16. And, and really, there's events in our lives that are so powerful, they're so transforming, they're so earth-shattering, that in fact they have a sort of creative effect on the rest of our lives. They recreate us anew, and they do so so powerfully that we always look back to them and in fact see them as what we're moving towards so that the present and the past and the future all sort of kind of just get jumbled together. And these these events are often events that are kind of on the borderline between death and life, darkness and light, right? And some of the most memorable events in our lives were when we almost died or we almost lost our marriage or we almost collapsed or darkness was all around us and yet there was this moment that we didn't anticipate and instead we were redeemed and we were saved and we always commemorate that and we look back to that. Um, and it's honestly, these moments in our life are somewhat like a birth, like a new birth, a woman who endures the pain, the agonizing pain and darkness of what labor really is. But then when she sees her child, she forgets all of the pain and the agony because she has a child who has been born. That's our passage today, the Passover. Um, and I'm going to do this a little differently. Usually I read through the whole passage and then we kind of work back through the passage. This passage is so long, it takes 16 minutes to read. <laughs> and so if I read this passage and then we tried to get all the good stuff on the other end, it just wouldn't even be possible. So kind of what I'm going to do, this might work, it might fail, so just be patient and bear with me. I'm going to be kind of, I'm going to try to be your tour guide. We're going to read every word of our passage today, but we're going to read through it in chunks. And then as I kind of, as the tour guide, and as I read it, I'm going to point out, hey, and don't miss this, that's really cool, and look at this, and don't forget this, and, and look how this connects together. So consider me kind of your tour, tour guide of the Old Testament Passover, um, because doing it the other way just might not work. So let's begin in chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each person can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. 
do not eat any of it raw or boiled in the water, but roasted its head and its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. None of it shall be wasted. And so here, let me point something out right from the start. We've been having this exciting foray through all the plagues of Egypt, and God's been fighting with the gods of Egypt. There's all this action, and we get to the Passover, and we're ready for more action, right? The 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, God's going to redeem his people. And then we usually get what we sort of refer to as the boring stuff. It's about days and months and take some blood and do this. And it's like, what's going on here? But right off the bat, we have something incredibly special. The Lord tells Israel, this is going to be the first month for you. This redemptive event is so important that it's going to change and shape the way that Israel even keeps track of time. It's going to be so eventful for Israel. I'm going to redeem you. So this month, on the, the, the month that I redeem you, is the first one. We're going to start here a new beginning, a new creation. In Hebrew, it's literally, this is the head of months. So if the year was a body for Israel, this month, this Passover, this redemption is the head. It's the first, and it's always going to be the first from hereafter. He describes the lamb, right? How the lamb should be. We need to, this, this should be carefully pointed out. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. In Hebrew, this is really, really emphatic. It's actually grammatically clumsy. It's so emphatic. In Hebrew, it's literally a lamb, faultless, male, a year old. That's how it reads in the Hebrew. Just one drumbeat after another. It's almost like the Lord is slowing down. Don't pick any lamb. It's got to be like this. It's got to be without blemish. It's got to be male, a lamb, a year old. All of the congregation of Israel was to sacrifice this lamb at the same time at twilight. In Hebrew, it's between the evenings, between the evenings, that place where darkness and light touch. A new month, the head of months, a new people, a new creation, and this sacrifice that's going to be part of Israel's redemption is slaughtered by all the congregation congregation of Israel all at once between the evenings at twilight. And then what are they to do? They shall take some of the blood and they put it on the pillar, the doorpost, the ones that were vertical, and then on the door frame, the one that was horizontal. So on the posts and on the frame of the door is the lamb's blood. And then they're to eat this lamb. They're to roast it in fire, and they are to eat the flesh of the lamb with unleavened bread, and they are not to leave any of it wasted. None of it is to go to waste. If there's any left over, it is to be consumed. It's sacred. This lamb is holy. It is for Israel's redemption. It's holy. It, it can't. There's no leftovers here. And put it in the fridge and get it for later. No, this is sacred. It's to the Lord. It's holy. And so verse 11 through 13. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And this word here, Passover, we do our best with this word Passover, and we kind of connect it to the way God goes over Egypt and kills the firstborn. But in fact, this word most likely means that he's a protector. It is to protect Israel. It's used very few times in the Bible, but it's used in Isaiah. And it's actually in the sense of to spare, to protect, to pass over in the sense of shielding someone from harm. The Lord's protection, the Lord's Passover. And here's what we get the why. Why the lamb And why the blood? Why are we doing this? What is this for? Verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, 
and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so make no mistake, this is not just a battle with Pharaoh. This is a battle in the heavens. This is a cosmic world-altering heaven and earth and under the earth and all over the earth. These gods whose powers are connected to Pharaoh, whatever these beings may be, they're not creators, they're not like our God. They're made, they're created, whatever beings they are, but they're rebellious and they're over the domain of Egypt and God says, I am going to execute judgments on them and call them to account and by so doing call Pharaoh to account. And we get this notice this is this judgment is going to fall on both man and beast. And this reminds us of the creation story. On day six, what did the Lord make? He made man and he made the animals on day six. But he, that was creative. Here, it's decreative. God is decreating the land of Egypt in judging its gods, in judging Pharaoh, in redeeming his people. He is actually turning Egypt into a wasteless darkness. He's reverting it back to that primeval ocean where there was no order, no goodness, no light. Egypt is being decreated, while at the same time, Israel is being redeemed and saved. And so make no mistake, this is a cosmic battle. This is a battle in the places unseen, and it's a battle in the land of Egypt and all of that together. So let's continue in verse 14. This is the introduction of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is connected right to the Passover lamb. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So in response to this kind of salvation, this lamb, this blood that's going to allow the Lord to protect and pass over the children of Israel, the firstborn sons of Israel, they are to feast. They're to celebrate and feast and joy and be happy. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but whatever everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this very day I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. So you're probably already noticing one of the things that's happening in our, in our verse here, in our section. We're going to go back and forth and back and forth. This goes back and forth, and it's like repetition. There's a lot of repetition in, in this passage, and it's almost like a diamond that has all of these sides and you you look at the Passover and then you talk about the Lord conquering Egypt and then you talk about unleavened bread and then we're going to go back to the Passover and then we're going to go back to God's 
triumph over the land of Egypt, and you'll see how we go back and forth and back and forth. And in fact, that's intentional, right? That's how these stories were told anciently. But take notice, the lamb is killed on that evening of the 14th day on the first month, and it's eaten by all of the household with unleavened bread. And then right after that, right after that begins a seven-day holy festival and feast that is kept to the Lord, feasting and joy and eating and drinking and celebration. And guess what? No work is to be done. This is a Sabbath. This is a Sabbath. And remember how I said some events are are just so earth-shattering, so changing for us that they create this sense of new creation. Well, what did God do after he created everything? He rested. He rested on the seventh day. And he celebrated what he had made because it was chaos. It was just this primeval ocean. And what did he do with it? Let there be light. And he created and he made man and beast and living things. And he said, it's all so wonderful. It's so good. And he rested on the seventh day. Well, so Israel is following in this pattern. God is recreating Israel and they are to do no work during these seven days after they have slaughtered this Passover lamb. And they're to remove all leaven from their house. And they're not to eat any leaven. And i got to be honest with you, even when I was going to study this passage for today, I was, I was just, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. Like, no leaven whatsoever. Don't have any leaven. Just don't leaven the bread. Well, I'm going to leave that there for now as your tour guide. <laughs> but we're going to come back to that because there are so, certain explanations as to why that is. Um, some follow, um, you know, the way Paul uses it in the New Testament, which is an absolutely legitimate way. He used it as almost this metaphor for sin, right? Don't let any... Uh, sin be found in you, be be completely unleavened as God's people. But there might even be a closer explanation for it right here in our context. But we'll see that as we continue to go along. So verse 21, continue with me. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over you, pass over the door, and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So we have some repetition here, right? We're back to the Passover. We're talking about it again. And you have to understand that with Israel's holy scriptures, Repetition to us is like, oh, don't say it over and over again. Please, that's boring. You know, say something different. Mix it up. For ancient Israel, that wasn't the case. They were so delighted in what God had done for them. They're like, tell me again. (laughs) Tell me again, Moses. Tell me again, Lord. Tell me how you saved us. Tell me how you redeemed us. And I think we need to enter into that, that some of this repetition that we find in Scripture is a delight. To the child, it's like when they tell the story, as soon as the story is finished, tell me again. I want to hear it again. I want to hear the story again. And so when you see this repetition, just know, you know, there's, there may be something up with us. Why don't we want to hear it again? What, what's stopping us from delighting in it as a child? So there's a lot of repetition. But there's an addition here. Take a bunch of hyssop. So they were to take the blood of the lamb in the bowl, and with, a, with a, this branch of hyssop, it's probably just, this, you know, it's like it was a herbal branch of some kind of leaf. Uh, scholars talk about what it is. Who knows? But they take it and they use it to actually brush the blood onto the doorposts. And we know that in ancient world and among Israel, hyssop was often used in rituals that were involved with purification, especially. 
So here we have this kind of concept entered into this blood that there's something maybe purifying going on. Not just, hey, I'll protect whatever the destroyer is from coming in your door, so put it on your doorpost. But there's a sense of purification. The door itself is being purified with this hyssop branch. And this is really serious, right? Israel is in the land of Egypt. They're outside of the promised land. They're in the domain of these other foreign gods under the domain of Pharaoh. And for whatever reason, right, sometimes God said, hey, all these judgments are going to fall on Pharaoh and his people, but they're not going to fall on Egypt. For whatever case, in this plague, it's falling on everyone. It's falling on the firstborn sons of Israel, and it's falling on the firstborn sons of Egypt. And so there's these notices that we kind of skip over. Let none of you go out of the door of his house until morning. Hunker down. Like, you know, when we get these hurricanes, it's like, lock it up, window shutters. This thing's coming through, and it's no respecter of persons, and you better shut her down, and don't go outside until this thing's blown through. Well, this is what is happening here. Don't go outside. Don't even do it. Um, stay within your door, where the blood is, where the doorposts have been purified. This destroyer, you know, it just is a destroyer. That's what it says in Hebrew, the destroyer, right? The 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 one the the corrupter the destroyer the one who takes life right and there's some other notices in this passage that it, it might be even the lord himself or it might be a messenger of the lord or an angel of the lord whom he sends and so there's this strange paradoxical thing that god is sending this death over everyone in the domain of egypt the domain of these gods and pharaoh and yet it's god himself who's stepping in between to protect this door right to pass over it to protect it and it's strange. I don't know how completely how to describe it other than this destroyer is coming and God says this is the way that you're going to be preserved from it. So in verse 24, we read this. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land and the Lord will give you, as he promised you, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of, of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And you see how this Passover story is just past, present, future. It's already talking about like it's a story it's going to be told to their children in time to come. And so all of this is blending together. And we can still... We can still enter into this practice with Israel. What are we doing? Right? When we take, Dad, what is this bread? What is this wine? Let me tell you, son. Let me tell you, daughter. This is a symbol, believe it or not, even of when God passed over the houses of Israel in Egypt. And we are sons and daughters of Abraham by our faith in Jesus Christ. And so, in a sense, in some special way, he passed over our houses too. And guess what? He came again in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he passed over our sins and he protected us from the destroyer, right? So we should enter into this. What is the bread? What is the wine? What is this Passover? Why do we have these feasts? Why are we doing this? Because the Lord redeemed us. And the proper response to this is always worship. They bowed their heads. They worshiped. They gave God glory for this. So here is the actual Exodus proper in verse 29. At midnight. Isn't it always at midnight when the destroyer comes through? <laughs> When you can't, you can't get to bed, you're so worried about the day, you think you're just going to collapse and be destroyed and every all your sins pile on your head. When? At midnight. 
At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you've said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone. But bless me also. So here again, between the evenings, right? That's when you're to slaughter the lamb, between the evenings. And here we have two nations between the evenings, whereas Israel at this time is celebrating life and forgiveness and redemption and liberation that is just around the corner. Pharaoh and all of his people and all of his firstborn are dying and the land is filled with death. So the domain of the gods of Egypt is now a deathscape. And the domain that Yahweh has created among these houses of these Israelites with this blood and this lamb and this feasting and this eating and this Sabbath and this celebration is a place of life. And so he is decreating Egypt and he is making a new creation with his people, Israel. And both of these things are happening as the darkness touches the light. It's kind of like a metaphorical twilight that is happening where the lamb is being slaughtered. And so we read this in verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. But they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened. Their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders, the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor and grace in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. See, he's still emptying Egypt. Take their stuff. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them. And very much livestock, both flocks and herds, and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not yet leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. And so now we go back to what is this thing with nobody is to eat anything leavened. If they do, in fact, they'll be cut off from Israel. And this whole cut off from Israel thing, it's quite a severe thing. It, it possibly could have involved even a kind of capital punishment, right? A, a severe offense before the Lord. They would be cut off from the people of Israel just for eating leaven. Oh, what's up with that? What is going on with that? Well, we haven't noticed actually right here in this context. So the people took their dough before it was leaven. God had rushed them so quickly out of Egypt, and Egypt, in fact, had pushed them out so fast because everyone was dying, that historically, we have this historical notice, they didn't even have time to go through the process of leavening their bread. And I just submit to you, not that uh, Paul's uh, you know, explanation of it in Corinthians, there's nothing wrong about it, these two can coexist. I think Paul is absolutely correct when he says, look, be unleavened as Christians. Don't don't be filled up with this leaven of sin. I think that's a legitimate way to, to read this. But also here in this context, we just have an immediate notice. Why don't we eat unleavened bread? Because we're identifying with that creative event wherein Israel left so quickly they couldn't leaven their bread. And so by leavening your bread in the congregation of Israel, in the midst of a Sabbath holy to the Lord with a slain lamb, is a bold way to say right on your shirt, I don't care about Yahweh. I'm not part of Israel. I don't want to be associated with this creative event that took place when we came out of Egypt. Therefore, anyone who eats anything leavened is to be cut off from the house 
of Israel. And look, look at this. For us, this is wonderful. 30, verse 38, a mixed multitude also went up with them. A mixed multitude. Who knows who was here? We know that Canaanites and Amorites and Hittites and Hyksos and all kinds of ancient people groups were part of the kingdom of Egypt at this time. They moved there to start businesses and to, you know, be part of Egypt and the wealth that they had amassed because of the Nile and because of providence and things like that. And so it's not just Israel who goes up as Israel. This is a mixed group. And the church is a mixed group. I'm not Israelite by birth. I have no DNA and blood of Abraham flowing in me, and yet I've been included by faith through Jesus Christ in the commonwealth of Israel. We just read. I was once a stranger to Israel's commonwealth, but I'm not anymore because the church through Jesus is Jew and Gentile together, right? One body in Jesus Christ. We're a mixed multitude. And I hope you're starting to see how this Passover text is almost becoming this rich paradigm of salvation itself. All the pieces are wonderfully there, and we can be thankful for that. Verse 40, that time the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept by the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. It's a night of watching. Remember that Passover word. If you take it as meaning protect, the Lord is standing by these doors of the Israelites as a vigil, as a warrior, as a protector. And when that destroyer comes by, there's Yahweh standing by that door. And maybe that's why it was purified with a hyssop, because the Lord just doesn't stand anywhere. He doesn't stand in unclean places where there's sin and defection and rebellion. Right? When Moses comes up onto Mount Sinai, what does he say? Take your shoes off your feet, Moses. Why, Lord? Because you're standing on holy ground. This this ground is a sacred space. It's sacred and holy and set apart so that I can stand on it as the God of all creation. And so he says, take that blood with the hyssop and make a place for me. Make a place for me right by that door so that I can protect you, so that I will pass over you. We're back again to another Passover section, right, about the lamb. Verse 43 And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired eater uh, worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. Remember, don't don't go outside. Stay inside. (laughs) Stay inside. The destroyer is coming through. Stay inside. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Not just anyone eats of this, guys. Not just anyone partakes of this holy food. This is set apart for God. This is for redemption. If you're going to partake of it, you join with Israel. You join with God's people. Not anyone is able to eat from it. Right? And then it goes on. Then he may come, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of the Lord, sorry, the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. Now, this is the third time that Israel has been called hosts 
right? And in Hebrew, that's just another word for armies. And so we have Yahweh going through Egypt as a warrior, and he's standing by the door as a protector simultaneously, and he's referring to Israel over and over and over as my armies. We've got a battle motif here, and this is just another motif. We've got time and sanctification and redemption and Sabbath, and now we've got battle. This is a battle against the gods of Egypt and against Pharaoh, and Israel is called armies, right? My armies. And this is encouraging for us again, as though many of us, if not all of us, are Gentile believers. We are not ethnically connected to Israel or Abraham or Jacob. And yet, how have we found ourselves worshiping and loving and honoring the God of Israel? Because if there's a sojourner or stranger among you and he wants to keep the Passover, let him come through. Right In the Old Covenant, that was circumcision. In the church, it's by baptism. So it's anyone, Jew or Gentile, if you want to keep this feast, come and join. Come and be part. And isn't that wonderful that already here in the earliest pages of the Old Testament, God is saying, do you want to join? Do you want to be part of my people? You're welcome. Come on in. But come this way. And also highlights another thing. We often say, oh, the Old Covenant, just filled with all that physical stuff. It's all about blood, and you got to keep all these rules and the law, and thank God that's just all done away with. We don't have nothing physical no more. It's just all kind of spiritual. And that's not true. We have the sacraments. The Lord didn't say, hey, you know what? If, if you kind of get around to it, if you feel like it, you can just go ahead and be baptized. It'd be a nice plus. Or, you know, if you get around to it, you can go ahead and celebrate this supper, the Lord's Supper, until I come. He didn't say that. He connected the life of Israel Jew and Gentile, recreated in Jesus Christ, and he uses means that we can touch and feel and water that can wash over our bodies and bread that we can put into our mouths and wine that we can drink to participate in his grace and goodness to us. And so we shouldn't look back at the Old Testament and go, man, I'm so glad all that stuff's done. Now it's just this kind of, you know, vertical shot spirit thing that I have with God. And that's just not how God works even within the church. And so we should see these as signs and wonders and pointers to his grace and goodness and activity in our lives. Chapter 13, verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast is mine. Remember in verse 12 of chapter 12, I am going to kill all the firstborn in Egypt, both man and and beast. And I told you that he was decreating Egypt and he was recreating Israel. Well, now here we get the inclusio of that, right? Both man and beast of the firstborn in Egypt will die. And then what is he doing with Israel after he's given them all these instructions? Both man and beast of the firstborn among all of you is mine, is mine, belongs to me. He's recreating Israel. The firstborn of Egypt die and the firstborn among man and beast is given to God among Israel. Then Moses said to the people, verse 3, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Verse 4, Today, the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, see, he's, there's still a salvation to come. When I bring you into the land, remember to keep this feast. The land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this servants. 
in this month. Keep the feast now and keep it when you get into the promised land. And it's no accident that Jesus said, when I come into my father's kingdom, I will not drink this wine with you again until I come into my father's kingdom. And he's right in step with Moses. When God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers to give you, now that land that I have purchased, the land where God dwells himself in heaven, when we get there, we will keep this feast, this Passover together. Isn't that wonderful? And so it says this, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall not be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Don't we still say that as Christians? What's going on with your life? Why do you do this? Why do you speak like that? Why do you say like that? Why do you abstain from this? Why do you positively go ahead and do this? What's You're kind of weird. What's wrong with you? What's up with you? It is because of what the Lord did with me in redeeming me out of Egypt and redeeming me out of my old sins and my old way of life and making me something new. We can still say that. And and, and I hope you under, I hope you begin to see that our speech is coming out of the Torah. It is. The way we talk as Christians is even flowing out of God's old redemptive acts that are actually new when we relive them once again in Jesus. And it shall be to you, in verse 9, it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out. This is the second time he said that, by the way. You shall therefore keep this statute at a point in time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land, here we go again, of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers to give you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are male shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. This Hebrew word here, pada, redeem, is probably better put as a ransom, something put in the place of death on behalf of another. Because you see that with the donkey. If you don't redeem that donkey with a lamb... What do you do with it? It's destined for death. You break its neck. So the death is just almost like an assumption. It's almost a guarantee. If you don't redeem that donkey, it dies. You kill it. But every son among you, every firstborn son among you of man, you redeem them all. You redeem them all. And how do you redeem them? With a lamb, with the Passover. When in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem, I ransom them from death. It shall be a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. It's going to come as no surprise when I tell you that the New Testament plunders this whole passage in reference to Jesus. The entire passion narrative in the Gospels, in the Synoptics, and even the way John uses it, positions Jesus as the Passover lamb, period, full stop. But it's now that we've read this, I want to read back through a few passages in Matthew's gospel that I've adapted. And I want you to listen closely as I read some of these things and as I point some of these things out from the New Testament. And I hope this becomes fresh to you. 
Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. And I have, if you flip there with me, I have adapted some of these passages and I'm skipping over some time for time. Now on the first day of unleavened bread. Oh, we're not reading the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. Matthew 26, 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, this holy sacred time, the disciples as Jesus directed them and they prepared the Passover. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then we have the question, wait a second, if this is in line with the Old Testament, where's the lamb? There's bread, there's wine, there's Jesus and the disciples. That's kind of odd because one of the central pieces of the Passover meal was to slaughter a lamb and to eat its flesh roasted. And then we have this question, where's the lamb? Kind of like Isaac walking up the hill with Abraham. Father, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham turns to his son and says, the Lord will provide a lamb, my son. And if he could be fully honest with Isaac, he would have said, you're the lamb. You're the lamb. And God's asked me to sacrifice you on Mount Moriah. Well, here in this passage, Matthew doesn't say anything about a lamb because Jesus is the lamb. Jesus is the lamb in this passage. He's the living lamb eating bread and wine with his disciples at the Passover meal. Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus is betrayed and brought before the governor. Verse 15, now at the feast. What feast? The feast of Passover and unleavened bread. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And when they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas, so when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, why do you want me to, who do you want to, me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. And if we're reading the New Testament with the Torah, do you know what we're going to feel at this point? Remember Exodus 13, 13. Every man among the sins of sons of Israel, you must redeem. You must redeem them. And Jesus, the firstborn son of his heavenly father, is on trial and he is exchanged. He is ransomed, but the other way around it, he is going to die. And so if we're reading the Gospels along with the Old Testament, we're about screaming out at this point, Father in heaven, redeem your son. Redeem him. Ransom him. Save him. Don't let him go to death. You said in your law, it is written, every man among the sons of Israel must be redeemed. Then redeem him. Do not let your own son go to death. And then we read in the Gospels the reverse. It's not the, it's not the firstborn in Egypt who die. It's Jesus. Jesus doesn't get passed over. He doesn't get protected. He's outside the door. He's the lamb. 
redeem him. Maybe that's what Jesus was thinking. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm your only holy son. Redeem me, ransom me from this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So what shall we say about these things? Romans 8, he who did not spare. He who did not spare his own son, did not pass over him, did not protect him, but gave him up for us all. And think about this. All Israel is gathered together in the first month, the head of this month, the holy month, during a Sabbath, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, after the Passover lamb has been slaughtered, and they are condemning Jesus, the Lamb of God, to death. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And we often read this verse and we say, man, that's just proof positive that Jesus has given up on Israel and he's picked the Gentiles and he's created a new nation because they forsook him and they're just kind of a old story. That's just, that's just history. And now Jesus is kind of, he switched teams and now he's with us and, and he's, he's not busy redeeming them on because they, they cried crucify him. It was the Jews who did that, right? They cried crucify him, crucify him. His blood be on our children. Well, the Jews are responsible. They put the responsibility on us. But do you know what the New Testament actually bears out? That in their ignorance and in their sin, they were unwittingly keeping, they were keeping the true Passover. Back to our text in Exodus. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male in the prime of its life, you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. His blood be on us and on our children. And we we usually count them out and we say, oh, they took the responsibility and God has switched teams. But we don't go on to read Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, men of Israel. During the Pentecost, Luke carefully tells us that Jews from every nation, Jews from every nation under heaven were gathered at the day of Pentecost. Men of Israel hear these words. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless men. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Israel was cut to the heart and said, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children. Do you realize the mercy in the midst of the greatest sin ever committed by Israel? They are unwittingly keeping the Passover. His blood be on us and on your children. And you know what Jesus Christ in his heart was saying? In fact, yes, it will be. My blood, in fact, will be on you. And it will be on your children. I am still in love with you, Israel. And he still redeems them and he still saves them and still gives them chance and moment to repent And God has never forsaken Israel, and he never will, whether we participate with them 
or not. And all the Torah and the prophets and the Psalms testifies this. Jesus, we've learned, is the head of the Israelite home. He's leading his disciples in a Passover meal. Jesus is the Lamb of God, blameless, male, in the prime of his strength, sacrificed at twilight during the Passover. As Paul said, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. His flesh is the unleavened bread. His blood is the wine smeared on the door frames and pillars of a Roman cross. He is the firstborn son of Israel and of God, holy to God and uniquely his. And finally, here's the great mystery. He's Yahweh. He is Yahweh. He is God going forth, conquering the gods of both Egypt and Rome, passing over and protecting his people, redeeming both Jew and Gentile from death. How? By his death, by being the firstborn who dies, by being covered by darkness, by being forsaken by his father, by not being ransomed or redeemed, the story has turned absolutely upside down. You know, (laughs) you probably noticed we couldn't get an ordained (laughs) pastor to officiate in the Lord's Supper. It's a sermon. When Larry told me, I said, what? Passover chapter, Passover verse, and we have no Passover today. And I, at first, I got to be honest, I was like, that is not convenient. <laughs> that is not good. And then I said, I was thinking, and I was like, you know, I have no idea why in the world that would fall out that way providentially, but there's always something that the Lord in his kindness and his goodness and his wisdom wants to teach us. And let me tell you this, church, let me tell you this once and for all. If there was never any more bread left, if there was never any more wine left, all of us would still keep the feast. And we would still be redeemed. And we would still feed on Christ, the Lamb of God. And maybe that's why we don't have Passover today. Because we have, we have the Passover always. And every moment with Jesus is Sabbath. And every moment is unleavened bread. And every moment is redemption and peace and tranquility and reconciliation with our God. How? His blood be on us and on our children. And you know what? That's practically a prayer that we should pray. I pray that. If I ever have children, may his blood be on me and on my children. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for Jesus he is our lamb. He is our Passover lamb. We thank you for the stories of Israel that have become our own. We thank you for the exodus that you led your people out of Egypt. And in doing so, you promised the whole world that if they'd come and join themselves to Israel, that they too could receive forgiveness and purification and peace with you and walk with you. Lord, we look at your judgments and they're incredibly terrible. We look at the death and it's real. We look at Egypt and it's truly destroyed. So Lord, I pray that you would save all who are called by your name, that you would draw the nations to come under your protecting and saving hand, that you, as you've passed over us, Lord, that you'd pass over the whole world, bring them to you. Pray in your name. Amen.